Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, crew, check it. Dog events are happening. For exhibitors who are able and willing to attend these events, it feels as if our tribe has been reunited once again. Meanwhile, for folks who are continuing to feel safest staying at home and away from crowds, and for folks who are driving long haul between far-flung events, I gotcha. I've been working hard to bring you all podcast episodes that help you feel connected to our larger community and offer opportunities for education and entertainment, no matter how you have managed through this truly overwhelming year. One of my favorite events this year is the monthly virtual Pure Dog Talk After Dark for patrons of our podcast. Anybody can join this fabulous community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking on the Become a Patron link on the homepage. And while you're there zooming around on the site, you might think about checking out our shopping tab too. We've linked dog show vendors from all around the country so you can help support them during this really grueling loss of income suffered due to a lack of events. There's even a swag link that lets you order your Pure Dog Talk t-shirt, sweatshirt, fan case, mask, <laughs> ringside towel, and so much more. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check out the links at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm pretty excited. I have with us today, actually, a longtime Pure Dog Talk listener and fan, and I'm super excited to give her an opportunity to talk about her passion, which is Eurasiers. And so we are going to talk about this wonderful breed. It is accepted in FCI and in Canada. And where are you guys in the U.S. in the AKC system, Rosa? They're in the foundation stock service. FSS. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And you are located in Canada. So you show them up there. Yes, that's right. Some of you guys that participated in our Pure Dog Talk Cyber Sweepstakes presented by Trupanion will remember having seen one of Marissa's dogs. She won something. I don't remember which one of the shows, but I know you did very well at least one of the times. The FSS one. Yes. 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 (laughs) Excellent. Okay. So talk to us about this very cool, very, I mean, people that like floofy 
I'm here to tell you, this is a floofy. <laughs> yes. You have to like hair to like erasures. And so give us the 411. Give us how did you get started in this breed? What drew you to them? Well, way back when I was like a kid. And you're ancient now, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Feels that way some days, but I know I'm still okay. <laughs> we lived in a townhouse at the time and we had to get a dog that was small enough. And I still remember searching on the internet and I saw this breed that was like erasure. I was like, what is that? But it was too big for where we lived at the time. So I ended up with a little Pomeranian who was so sweet. And I still love the Pomeranians. They're just, I could have a hundred of them. But <laughs> it would take 100 Pomeranians to make yeah. an erasure. So I think that's Close fair. Yes, yes, probably. So then, you know, fast forward, I was getting my first dog as an adult. I was out in the world and I thought, oh, I need a dog. I first tried to get a rescue, but they wouldn't let me rescue because I was a student. So I said, okay, I guess I have to buy a dog then. That worked. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking for breeds and then. I just stumbled upon the erasure again on Wikipedia and I sort of thought I've seen this before. I've seen this before. They just sound so perfect. I'd never met one, but just reading about them, I was sold. And I just happened to have a breeder an hour away. I said, Hey, do you have any puppies? They said, yep, we've got one for you. So. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so what was it about what you read that sold you on the breed? Well, of course, I do love the fur. That's the big, big thing <laughs> that really got me. And I thought, oh, they're so beautiful. They've got these beautiful coats. I always like the Spitz breeds. But one of the things I don't like about most of the Spitz breeds and the Pomeranian mm. is the barking. Mm -hmm. Dogs bark, but the bark, 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 that just drives me nuts. So I was looking at like the Samoyed, the Quezon, they bark a lot. I was barking. like, they're so beautiful, I'll put up with it. And then I thought, oh, Eurasia, they don't bark. Interesting, they don't bark? I mean, if someone's at the door, they'll bark a couple times. Or if there's like the deer that were outside of my door this morning, they might bark. But they really don't bark very much. Wow. Once or twice, and that's it. And it's like a low bark. It's not that shrieky spitz bark. <laughs> yeah, it's like when Arnold, my male, when he barks, it's like a mastiff or something. I don't know. He's got these big lungs, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. They got that low bark, so it's not so piercing on the ears. Nice. Okay, this could be my new favorite breed. <laughs> yeah. <big> <laughs> so tell us the history of the erasure and why is it that they are so different from the other spits in their vocalization. What was their history? What did they do? Well, they were developed. They're sort of a creation breed in Germany in the 60s. This professor, Julius Wipfel in Germany, had this, it was just sort of a mixed dog that was apparently left behind after the war. And they came to have it somehow. And he just thought this is the most perfect dog I've ever seen. They didn't really know what he was. And then he said, I want to try to recreate this dog because it was just such a perfect dog. So they wanted a pretty calm, mellow breed, but still that spitz look and have a bit of that independence. So it did sort of fill 
a bit of a niche because when you think of spitz breeds, you think of the sled dogs, mm-hmm. the herding dogs that are pretty high energy. They need a job and they certainly can be good house pets, but you need to have them stimulated a lot and lots of right. exercise and they need stuff to do. Whereas this breed, obviously, yes, they need exercise and they need things to do. But if it's pouring rain outside or I don't feel well and I don't feel like going out in the dark at seven in the morning, they're like, we'll just sleep in. We're fine. They're happy to just do whatever you're doing. So that's sort of their thing. And what is their size? I've not seen one in real life. Yeah. And so how big a dog are we talking about here? Well, when people see my pictures on Facebook or whatever, then meet the dogs, they think, oh, they're actually smaller than we thought. They look so big and impressive in photos. But a male is going to be around 55 to 60 pounds. Okay, so actually more medium size. So they're a good size, but they're not big dogs. Right. They can get a bit bigger, but... Not usually. The range of the standard is pretty wide, but that's sort of the ideal. And about, I'm thinking in centimeters, I have to think in inches, (laughs) about 22, 22 and a half inches for a male. And then a female is going to be a few inches shorter and probably about 45 pounds. Interesting. So bigger than a Keys, sort of Samoyed-ish size. Yes. Maybe a little shorter than a Sammy. They can get a bit taller than a Eurasia, I think. But similar. Yeah, they're not big, but they're not small either. They're a good size for the house. Interesting. And double-coated, very much the floofy. Yes. So their coat is not so much what you think when you think of some of the spitz breeds. It's very profuse and it stands out. Their top coat, it's flat. So it's not so poofy like it's thick obviously Mm -hmm. but it's a weatherproof coat they don't get stuck in it since it has that flat texture and obviously has the undercoat underneath but then on top it's smooth almost rather than sticking like some of the other breeds interesting and so how are they i assume they dump coat like most spitz breeds every couple months the bitches will blow coat with their heat cycles which i think is pretty typical And the males, I found when they're younger, they go through a couple like full blows when they're just getting their adult coat. But after that, they'll sort of shed bits and pieces or they'll shed a little bit, but they don't get that huge coat. And it's not so much like a Siberian maybe where it's just like hair everywhere. It's it's a bit more controlled than that, (laughs) which is nice. (laughs) That's good. That's good. And so you're going to talk about weekly brush to the skin, line brushing type of stuff. Yeah. So if they're intact, so not spayed or neutered, the coat is actually really easy. You'd think it would be hard because there's a lot of it, but because it has that sort of smooth texture, it's not prone to matting. It's not prone to getting stuff stuck in it. So if you just comb them out or even with the blower or something Mm -hmm. regularly, they stay fine. If they are spayed or neutered, they can get that spay coat, which I think a lot of breeds can get, and that can be a bit challenging. Hmm. But if they're intact, the coats are really easy. People think I spend like hours and hours, but I don't. (laughs) I just say I do. (laughs) You just check two huge boxes, not heavy coat maintenance and quiet. Yeah. Done and done. They're a great breed for people that like the sort of spitzy, Mm -hmm. a little bit primitive looking. 
but maybe can't handle some of the more working type breeds or the really primitive breeds if they don't have the time or maybe the experience of meeting the needs of those kind of breeds. The sharper temperament and the more super aloof. Yeah. So like a lot of people really like the Huskies, you know, after Game of Thrones and everything, they wanted a wolf or whatever. But a lot of those people that like the sort of look, but maybe want to I don't want to say easy, but right. sort of a more beginner friendly. The erasures <laughs> are a good choice. I like it. They still have their specific things that you need to know about. Like they're not just you to let them out in the world and they're fine. They do need socialization specifically. They can be a bit reserved with people, but it's not like they're going to be aggressive or anything like that. That's right. very unusual for the breed. So it's basically they're hard to mess up too badly. <laughs> We call that user-friendly. Yeah, there, that's the right term. <laughs> so in that it. respect, I think they can be a good breed for people that are looking for that sort of temperament, but mm-hmm. not quite there. Right. And so who would be someone you would not encourage to think that this would be the right breed for them? Definitely if you're out of the house a lot and you're not really home a lot, you've got a busy mm-hmm. social schedule or you're working a ton out of the mm-hmm. house and you have other activities you do after this breed definitely needs their people to be around. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to like not work and just right. look at your erasure all day. But <laughs> I mean, if you're out working an eight hour day, you have to be dedicated to say, okay, my day's over. I need to go do something with my dog and give them that attention because that is sort of their purpose. They're a companion breed, even though they're in working group up here in Canada. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Their purpose is companion. They want to be with their people. And it's actually in their breed standard that they must have lots of close contact with their people (laughs) in order to have the correct temperament and behavior. So they definitely need that. Obviously, if you don't like vacuuming, probably not the breed for you. (laughs) I have a vacuum on each floor at this point, just because I get tired of bringing it up the stairs. Prepare to invest in a Roomba. Okay, got it. (laughs) So I don't know. I've thought about the Roomba, but I worry it might not make it. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. <laughs> might not survive your razor hair. Got it. Yeah. yeah, it might get clogged after. So with that, do you see significant amounts of separation anxiety in the breed? There can be. I think generally speaking, the breeders here and in Europe, everywhere, they're looking for people that are erasure people, which are people that are home a lot, whether they are working from home or they work, but they can come home and look after the dog. So generally, the homes that they're getting into, they're sort of suited for their homes, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of other breeds probably struggle with that, where people want the dog because it's cute or whatever, but they're not really suited to it. Mm-hmm. So I think generally speaking, that is great. But we're getting these Eurasia people that are suited to the breed that are seeking them out. But still, you have to put in the time when they're puppies. Even if I work from home, I need to go leave my puppy for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So that's definitely important still, just so they learn to be okay. But 
I don't think it's a huge problem, but it's definitely something you want to train for when they're still puppies, just to get them okay with that. Families, children, one person, family dog. I mean, how are they that way? I think they're good for pretty much any home dynamic, whether it's just one person, whether it's a big family. If it's a big family, they will sort of have their person, but they're not a one person breed. They'll love everybody in the family. And they even extend that to close family friends that visit often or people they see often. Mm -hmm. Once they're part of the gang, you've got the erasure love. So they're definitely not a one person breed, but they of course will have sort of their person. Mm -hmm. They still are great with any size family and they're gentle and good with kids most of the time. Proper supervision. I mean, that's, yeah, of course. that's right. Dog savvy, kids savvy dogs. Right. All of those things are important, I think, with any breed. Of so. course. Yeah. And so talk to us a little bit about health issues, longevity, any of those kind of things that people are interested in. So for their size of dog, they do usually have quite good longevity. I'd say your average is probably... 12 to 14 but there's certainly dogs that live much longer than that 16 isn't that unusual mm. there's a dog in one of my dog's pedigree that was almost 18 oh my god which is almost unheard of in a dog of this size so right. I mean you don't get one expecting it's gonna live to 18 yeah. but yeah. you can expect 12 to 14 easily and probably longer too. Mm-hmm. So that's another plus of the breed that your dog's probably going to be here for a long time. Well, that's like good. That is a concern in some other breeds. It can be. The giant breeds certainly have problems with that. Yeah. And health-wise, do you have any particular things or they're sort of regular dog issues? So you should be looking, you know, hip and elbow x-rays, but that's really not that common. It pops up occasionally but it's not really a problem but any good breeders still doing those tests one is the patellas which is a bit unusual for a larger dog but they can have the luxating patellas i think it comes sort of from the chow chow side of the history i think it can be a problem in that breed too so it's carried forward not super common but it happens Occasionally, you see a dog that needs surgery to fix it. Mm-hmm. And the main one, the main problem in the breed is the thyroid, okay. which is unfortunately pretty common. Mm-hmm. But for a common issue to have, it's not so bad since you can treat it pretty easily and it's not really a big deal once the dog's medicated, but it is pretty common. So, mm-hmm. breeding dogs should definitely be checked before breeding, preferably every year. At least before breeding, because you want to make sure you're breeding dogs that aren't affected and it can come up later in life. So right. you want to keep checking that regularly. Right. Absolutely. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. DNA testing is rapidly growing amongst breeders. And given the importance of these test results to the health of not only each dog, but also that of future generations of dogs. At Embark, they believe it's critical to provide transparency in their testing methods, 
that result in more than 99.99% accuracy for health tests. Embark's innovative testing platform enables the hundreds of genetic health and traits test results provided in Embark's products, while also creating research-ready data for use by canine health organizations and scientists. Embark's methods exceed industry quality control standards by also checking the breed, sex, and relatives of every sample to ensure DNA samples are correctly labeled and unique identity is recorded. In addition to quality control, this helps fraud prevention by ensuring the same dog can't be tested multiple times without Embark knowing. At Embark, they're proud of their world-class canine DNA testing service, and they're committed to continually raising the bar. They're on a mission to provide breeders and all dog owners with the high level of accuracy they need to optimize their breeding programs, manage the lifetime care of their dogs, and improve the health of future generations of dogs. So you just made a comment that I thought was really interesting, and we kind of squirreled away from it earlier, so I wanted to come back to it. You talk about it being sort of a made breed in this guy developing (laughs) them because he saw this one that he liked and wanted to make more of them. So how did he go about doing that? Right. Yes, that's important. We skipped over that. We just got on a squirrel (laughs) tangent. It's okay. (laughs) The original idea that they had was crossing chow chows with the German wolf spits, which is sort of like a Kazon, but they call it wolf spits there. But it's not the modern case on that you see. Mm-hmm. It's how long ago was that? 60 years ago. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it looked a bit different back then. So that was the original cross. They crossed several individuals doing that and they kept records of what was produced, what type they wanted to select from those crosses. And then eventually they also added Samoyed in there to help bring more of the temperament that they wanted since some of the crosses were getting a bit too aloof. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to bring some of that more Samoyed character. smiling. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That was the original mix. So they were sort of a man-made creation, but Mm -hmm. they kept amazing records of all the dogs that were bred, what was produced, and they were very specific about what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. So the breed was recognized by FCI by 1971, I think. Oh my gosh. Uh, Check that, but it was early 70s. So they, within 10 years, yeah, the first cross was 1960. So within 10 years, they were breeding true to what they wanted and they were recognized. So Interesting. They knew what they wanted to do. Right. And so do you see, like you were talking about a little too much chow chow or something like that. (laughs) Do you see those sorts of, like, if you will, throwbacks? Like we see them even in my breed and wire hair pointers. We have a gene that the dogs will come up with a gene for no furnishings and you wouldn't know it wasn't a short hair. Things like that. There's certainly dogs that you see that you might think, oh, that looks more chow or that looks more wolf spits. You know, I'm thinking like head style. You've got three really specific different head styles there. Yeah, well, one thing about the erasure is it's sort of like an in-between of all of these. Their whole thing is that they're very moderate. There's no standout features to them. So I think 
from that cross, it sort of made a generic spitz. Mm. And then they just sort of kept going with that. Right. There certainly are, you know, you get some dogs that have sort of a shorter muzzle and they look a bit more chow or they get a bit of a pointier nose and look a bit more wolf spits. But I think it's almost more just variation in the lines because they are still a pretty new breed. Mm -hmm. There's variation between countries even. You see a dog in Germany, a dog in France, they can look pretty different still. So. I don't know that it's a throwback versus just people selecting for different things or they have different lines of dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so developed as a companion, if you wanted to do something with your, your razor other than watch Netflix on the couch or go to a dog show, what are the things that they do and excel at in sort of performance areas? Well, the main thing is that They just want to do whatever their people are doing. So whatever it is that you want, they're most likely going to be up for it. There's maybe some very specific sports that you wouldn't do with them, like coursing they're probably not going to be into. But I mean, agility, obedience, rally, nose work. If it's something that they're doing with their person as sort of a team, then they're into it. All about it. They do well. They're spits. They have their independence, but they are really easy to train just simply because they want to do stuff with their people. So they have the desire to please, which is what makes training dogs so much easier. (laughs) And it's not so much that they want to do what their owner says or obey or even necessarily to please you, but more (laughs) that they just like doing stuff with their people. Interesting. They want to participate. They want to be included. So, I mean, there's times where I'm training my dogs and they're just like not into it. And they're like, I know what you're wanting me to do and I'd do it for you, but I'm just not going to. I'm not feeling it today. (laughs) But I'll wag my tail and you'll give me the cookie anyways. So (laughs) it works every time. (laughs) Works out just fine for them. So in other words, they're exceptionally good human trainers is what you're telling me. They definitely are. We have our little routines and I one day I realized, oh, my dogs trained me to do this for them. <laughs> so they're very good at that. Oh my but gosh. in terms of sports and stuff, they're up for everything. They may not be world level competitor in agility, right. though. I mean, I wouldn't count them out. But So just generally speaking, it sounds like they're just sort of a low energy, low drive. Yeah. Inside, they're happy to just sort of hang out and do whatever. But if you want to go for a thinking in kilometers again, 10 kilometers, I don't know what that is in miles. About six miles. <laughs> they're up for it. Right. They'll do it. They have the energy to do it. They'll run and play. They're certainly not, you know, lazy couch potatoes. But inside, they're like, we're just here to be relaxed inside. But if we're doing something, they have the energy to do it. So okay. they're not... good going to be like they can't walk that far they don't feel like it they'll certainly do that so if you're an active family they're certainly up for that but then they'll just chill once you get home okay so you said no particular aggression that's not an issue with the breed how are they with other dogs other species small furries stuff like that well one thing is if you have you know cats or small pets in your house and they're sort of part of the family, your erasure will figure out 
pretty quick. They're part of the family. They're ours. We're not going to mess with them. We're gentle. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I have two cats. My dogs are great with them. But if they see a cat out on the street, that's <laughs> not our cat. They'd chase that cat for sure. Right. But if it's our cat, then they won't. And same right. with, I used to have pet rats and my dogs were gentle with those. But I mean, squirrels and stuff are certainly not okay. on the table outside. <laughs> Okay, so they do have a little bit of prey drive, though. Yeah, but not too crazy. Over the top. Yeah. Awesome. And anything else that's like, what would you think of as the hallmark of the breed? If you had to say, I'm looking across the ring and I have no idea what I'm looking at, what makes it scream your razor to you? Okay, well, the main thing that you keep seeing in the standard, they repeat it for several different things, is moderate balanced so you should look at the dog it should look like a natural dog but it should be harmonious looking it should just look easily standing there balanced but nothing extreme okay they're almost a little bit generic spits but within that you get into you know their expression and all that and their coat but there should be nothing that is extreme about them Mm-hmm. And they are, I've seen like your two. So what <laughs> <laughs> color wise, your one dog, they look sort of reddish, maybe with a black overlay sort of thing. So they come in a lot of colors. Okay. They actually have all four, they call it agouti jeans. So they have the sable, which is like the red, like my dogs. It can also be cream. It can have a mask or no mask. It can have the overlay or not. Mm-hmm. And you've got the wolf gray, the agouti, which is the sort of banded hairs. Mm-hmm. They can be black and tan and they can be solid black. Okay. So they've got a lot of variety. A lot of variety and no color. No erasers quite look the same in their coat. But solid color, right? Not yeah. party color in any yeah way. no no spotting they can carry that but it's a disqualification mm-hmm. for the breed they can also be a recessive white like the samoid but again it's a disqualification and it's not that common but it can pop up okay but within those other colors there's all sorts of variety and no preference in terms of showing they're all equal excellent So give me three words that to you sum up the erasure. Three words. Well, the first one would definitely have to be companion, just because they are, for me anyway, and a lot of people really, the perfect companion dog. They have all these sort of traits that I think a lot of people are looking for. The next one, I would probably say harmonious or balanced that everything about them their ears their eyes should all be very balanced in the appearance of the dog you can tell right away if the eyes are too big or the ears are set they lose tight pretty quickly that way so you definitely want a balanced looking dog and the third one (laughs) I'm going to say loving they're just such loving dogs that They're like little people almost. They've got such interesting, sweet characters about them. And each one has their own little unique personality. But at least all the erasures I've met, pretty much, they're all have a little bit of a sense of humor. (laughs) 
they know how to communicate really well with people, which is really interesting. So yeah, that'd be my third word. <laughs> and talk to us about if someone is interested in a erasure, how possible, impossible, how many are they like scarce as hen's teeth? I mean, <laughs> talk to us about trying to find one of these lovely little dogs, if that's something that you're looking for. Yes. Well, the first place to go would be either the breed club. So there's the Erasure Club of Canada or the United States Erasure Club. And we will link those in the blog post. So those would be the place to start unless you happen to come across a breeder. But I would definitely check in with the clubs to see which breeders have litter plans for that year. There aren't that many breeders, but there are more starting up. But they're mostly sort of hobby family breeders, so they may only have one or two females typically, so they're not having that many puppies. So you can expect a pretty good weight. Occasionally something comes up and a puppy's available, but usually you can expect to wait at least a year. But after this year, I think breeders are really swamped. I know from my own experience how right. many people have written to me just in the last three months. Right. Pandemic puppies, everybody wants one. <laughs> and they are becoming more popular. They're still pretty unknown, but mm-hmm. more people are finding the breed, I guess, online or they you know, them. a quiet, low maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. I could see them being very popular. <laughs> it can work for a lot of different people and families and situations. So they are definitely getting more popular. So it's getting harder to get your hands on one. <laughs> Well, we just need to encourage more people to breed them. Yes. Well, more people are definitely, I know in the U.S. they're getting more people involved in their club. And there's a few new breeders here in Canada too. But sort of the main thing is that the breed was always like a house pet, family pet first. So people don't have large kennels most of the time. So they're only having one or two litters a year. They can have pretty big litters, but... You can only have so many at once. Yes. <laughs> I feel that. Yes. Me. You've had oh a my few gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the last of the Mohicans, 13. Yep. I'm done. Peace out. <laughs> Need a good break after that, I would think. Oof. All right. Well, Marissa, thank you so very much. I'm really excited to show people pictures of these adorable little floofies. And I just think they're a very cool breed. So I really appreciate you sharing them with us. And I look forward to seeing more of them in the coming years. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me. I'm always happy to talk about my breed. All right, honey. Well, you have a great day. Happy holidays. Thanks. You too. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.